Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. We have a shorter lesson tonight because I wanted tonight because I wanted you to hear from our mission team, and um, as we kind of shortly in like ten minutes wrap up a short series that we had on friendships, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter nine and. As we thought about a mission trip, and I hope if you're in high school, you're thinking about, hey, maybe God wants me to go on this trip. Uh, but I want to share with you how some of the greatest friendships that I had in my teenage years happened on mission trips and happened with the people of God. And I want you to think about this, and Drew, I'm just going to apologize ahead of time. I'm going to jump around a lot in my, in my slides here. Um, but I want you to think about this. You know, everybody has a friend group right? Everybody has your pods they run with, your groups they run with. Sometimes they're called cliques, right? You ever heard that, the term cliques? We usually think of cliques as a bad thing. Um, You know, I'm going to submit to you tonight, cliques aren't always a bad thing. Sometimes cliques can be a good thing. Depends on what your clique is doing and who you let into it. Um, But I want you to think about, as we're thinking about missions, as we're thinking about friendships, I want you to think about a guy who had probably the great, one of the greatest cliques of all time, greatest friend groups of all time. His name was the Apostle Paul. We learn his story in Acts chapter 9. And I want to kind of read and comment on his story and show you three, kind of pe- three kinds of people that you need to have in your clique. Three kinds of people that you need to have in your friend group. And I'm going to talk about how all three of those kind of people I got to experience in my friend group as a teenager and take on mission trips with me. So Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, But Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Long story short, Christianity literally had just begun. Jesus died for our sins, rose again, went to heaven and he left his 120 followers there on a hill and he said, wait till the Holy Spirit comes and then preach the gospel. And guess what? Shortly after Jesus left, the Holy Spirit came and they started telling people about Jesus. People started getting saved. Thousands of people were getting saved in the city of Jerusalem. But then people started getting a little upset, you know. Not everybody likes Christians. Not everybody, you know, not everybody liked the fact that Christians were, you know, the people were leaving their old religions and were embracing a relationship with Jesus. So the religious people in Jerusalem were like, hey, you know, we need to stop these people. They called them people of the way. Before Christians were called Christians, they were called people of the way. I, I, I kind of like that. I think I like that better than Christians. Cool, cool term. Anyway, so what Saul was a religious leader and he decided to start arresting people that were Christians. So he started arresting all these Christians in Jerusalem. He's like, hey, there are Christians outside of Jerusalem. I'm going to go get like permission from the provincial governors and, and from the religious leaders to go arrest people in other, like he got deputized to arrest and kill Christians in other parts of the world. So he gets his papers. He's like James Bond, you know, a license to kill. And he starts heading toward Damascus where there are a bunch of Christians. And in verse 3, it says, As he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So Jesus shows up. And this bright light from Jesus blinds Saul. Saul falls on his knees, and Jesus says to him, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him were speechless, you think? 
hearing a voice but seeing no one. So God appears to Saul, and what we learn is Saul puts his faith in Jesus. Saul goes from on his way to kill Christians to becoming a Christian. What a change, right? And not only does Saul become a Christian, Saul starts telling other people how they can be saved. You see that down um, in, in, verse, in verse number 18. It says, he got his sight back, he went blind, he rose and was baptized. Oh, by the way, everybody who's saved should be baptized to follow Jesus. If you wanna sign up for that baptism day, come see me. Then he took food and was strengthened. You know, food is spiritual. That's why we're doing our not-so-traditional Thanksgiving dinner. For some days he was with the disciples, other Christians at Damascus. Immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. So do you see this incredible transformation? Paul was killing Christians in Jerusalem, went to kill Christians in, um, in Damascus. On the way to Damascus, Jesus appeared in front of him and Saul realized Jesus is who he says he is. He paid for my sins, I believe in him. So when he arrived at Damascus, instead of killing Christians, he was preaching Christ and people were being saved. That's incredible, right? But there was a problem. Not everybody believed that Saul was legit because hey, he was just killing Christians, right? Um, so Saul ended up surrounding himself with a group, with a clique. And it may be the most effective clique ever because so many people were saved because of Saul and his friends going around the world telling people about Jesus. So let's look at the people who were in Saul's clique. Keep going in Acts chapter nine. And the first person that you need in your clique, the first kind of friend that you need is a Barnabas. What's a Barnabas? Is that like a barnacle? Are we talking about SpongeBob here? No, uh, Barnabas. Look at Acts chapter nine and we see when Barnabas came into Saul's life. So Saul leaves Damascus because people start getting so upset at Saul for preaching Jesus. They're like, we don't want you teaching Jesus in here. We're gonna kill you. They surround his house to kill him. He escapes and goes to Jerusalem where a lot of Christians are and he enters, he tries to get into this group of Christians at Jerusalem where they're like, hey, you know, Saul, last time we saw you, you were like killing our friends, you know, and putting them in jail. And now you say you're one of us in the words of 2020, you know, the, the term, Saul is a little on the sus side, right? You know, he, he, he is a possible imposter, right? We're not gonna trust him. You see in verse 26, it says, when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. They were afraid of him because they did not believe he was a disciple. He's trying to get all our names and then turn us in and kill us or put us in jail. But, verse 27, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and how in Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Do you see what Barnabas did? He said, I know all of you, are, you know, think that Paul's a little suspect, right? And you don't trust him. But Barnabas came over to Paul, a young Christian. He said, come with me, I got you. I got you. I'm going to invest my life into you. And you know what you see as you read through the book of Acts? You see Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas leave on like the largest mission, the longest mission trip of all time. And they go from city to city to city to city telling people about Jesus. You know who you need in your life, in your clique, in your friend group? You need someone who's a seasoned Christian. You need somebody who's been following Jesus and is faithful following Jesus who can invest their life into you. And I thought, yeah, I'd put some pictures up of me and mission trips. And this is my, one of, well, my best friend, Ryan, and he's kind of like my Barnabas. We look like a very 
suspect couple I know in this picture. We crawled into this big pot in Peru and stuck our heads out. You know, but um, I have a friend, yeah, I have a friend, still have a friend named Ryan, who's a strong Christian and helped me become a strong Christian. So the question that I want to ask you is, who's your Barnabas? Who is the strong Christian in your friend group who is investing in you and who is pouring into you? Do you have a Barnabas? Do you have somebody who you can trust? It's not somebody who's perfect. You know, nobody's perfect. Not somebody who's perfect, but somebody who's following Jesus faithfully that you can learn from. If you have a Barnabas, I want you to think about the name of that person in your life right now. Just think, don't say, just think about the name. If you don't have a Barnabas, I want you to think about who could be your Barnabas. That sounds like some weird like prom proposal, like you know, get a pizza box, will you be my Barnabas? Um, anyway, so you need a Barnabas in your life, in your, in your clique, in your friend group. The next person you need in your life is you need a Timothy. Just like Barnabas was pouring into Paul, you know what Paul did? He said, just because Barnabas is pouring into me, is helping me grow in Jesus. I'm going to help a young, another young Christian grow in Jesus. And you read about Timothy in Acts chapter 16. It says, Paul came to Derbe and Lystra, and a, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. So his mom believed in Jesus. His dad didn't believe in Jesus, right? That, that's probably tough. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconia. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him. He, it says he took him on that trip. The same, it's the same verb that Barnabas took Paul when nobody trusted Paul. Paul now took Timothy. And can you imagine this? Paul said, hey, Timothy, I want you to go on the next mission trip with me. And they went from place to place to place to place to place together, serving God together. And what's really cool is if you read through the Bible, you can follow the progression, how Timothy grows in Jesus because of Paul. Because Paul's saying, let me help you. Let me teach you how to follow Jesus. Let me teach you how to share the gospel. Let me teach you how to spend time in prayer, praying. Let me teach you how to, how to serve in the church. And what you see, it's really cool. We don't have time to write all this down, but it is in the notes on the Refuel app. You can see three phases of this relationship between Paul and Timothy. The first is parenthood. In 1 Timothy 1-2, Paul calls Timothy my true child in the faith. But then you see that Paul is pace-setting Timothy. For 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 11, he says, you followed Timothy, my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. And then I read this this morning in my devos. You see that Paul eventually, Timothy became his partner in ministry. Romans 16, 21, he's, he said, Timothy now is my partner in ministry. Timothy grew because Paul invested in him. So the question is, who's your Timothy. Who's your Timothy? Who's a person that is close to you, that's around you, that maybe is a young, uh, I want, not even necessarily in age, but someone who is, is, needs to grow in their faith, that you can say, hey, Christian, you're my Timothy. Let me spend some time with you and invest in you and teach you how to follow Jesus. And maybe we'll serve together and do things together. Christian would be a good person to invest in. Christian is an awesome guy. I always end up picking on Christian, don't I? Um, who's, your, who's your Timothy? The final person, see, in your clique, you need a Barnabas. You need a seasoned Christian who's investing in you. You need a Timothy, someone that you can invest in. The third person you need in your clique is a friend that needs to know Jesus, a friend you're trying to reach with the gospel. Because here's the problem with cliques in churches. They turn into holy huddles. You know what I mean by that? Yeah, instead of being a friend group, they turn into holy huddles. And instead of being outward-faced, 
They turn like inward face. And it, yeah, have you, and a lot of you have been in this kind of situation. You walk into youth group, you walk into church, and everybody knows everybody, and you know nobody, and you feel excluded. Isn't that, isn't that a shame? All of us need somebody we're trying to reach with the gospel. Here's what's cool. You know what Barnabas did to help Paul grow in his faith? He didn't meet him at Starbucks. Nobody wants to go to Starbucks anymore. Let me try that again. He, he didn't meet him at Grindstone. So much better than Starbucks. Anybody agree with me? He, when Barnabas said, I want to develop you as a Christian, I want to pour into your life, he didn't invite him to coffee. You know what he invited him to do? He, don't miss this because I just started talking about coffee. You know what Barnabas invited Paul to do? Not to get coffee and have a Bible study together, although I know they study the scriptures together. He said, serve with me. Take the gospel around the world with me. And you know what Paul said to Timothy? He said, Timothy, I want to invest in you. He didn't say, let's go to Fat Patties together once a week and call it discipleship. He said, let's serve together. Let me take you on a trip and tell people about Jesus and you'll get on the job training. Your friend group, your Barnabas, your Timothy, your clique should be looking for a person to bring into the clique that they can reach with the gospel. See, some people say cliques are bad, but I don't think cliques are necessarily bad. Jesus had a clique, right? Twelve of them. Paul had a clique. More than three of them, actually. If you read Romans chapter 16, Paul had a clique. Jesus' clique began the church. Paul's clique started and reached thousands of people for Jesus. What's your clique doing? You see where I'm going with this? Our, our friend groups, our Christian friend groups, should not be holy huddles. They should be trying to reach people for Jesus. So how do we apply it? I got no F words for you tonight. I am so sorry. I'm going to try to bring that. I think next week for the Thanksgiving dinner, we need to come in strong with F words when we're sharing the gospel. I think. I'm going to try. We'll see if it happens. First, well, actually, we have, there are, it's fine, fine, fine. It's like a triple of the same F word. Here, here's what I'm asking you to do tonight. First is find a Barnabas. Find a Barnabas. Find somebody to invest in you. Yeah, we had a lot of leaders had personal crises tonight, so we don't have as many leaders here tonight as we usually do, but we try to make this a place where you can find at least adults, yeah, adult leaders who will be willing to invest in you and be willing to, to, to develop you spiritually. Find a Barnabas. Here's what I want you to do right now. This may, uh, if you have somebody in your life that is, is, is a good influence on you for Christ, that you have as, that's a Barnabas, I want you to text them right now and just say thank you. Text them right now. If you have a Barnabas in your life, text them right now and say thank you, explain later, or something like that. <laughs> text them and say thank you. They need to know that they've been making a difference in your life. You, some of you, though, need to find a Barnabas, but then some of you need to find a Timothy. And you're like, Matt, where in the world am I going to find somebody to invest in spiritually? Look around. Look around. Find a Timothy. Find somebody tonight. Third thing is find somebody to reach together. We have an opportunity as a student ministry, as a youth group next week, to reach people for Jesus. It's, sharing the gospel isn't always just inviting someone to church. It's telling people what Jesus did. But inviting someone to come hear the gospel is a way to introduce people to Jesus. So what I want to ask you to do tonight is for us to have a prayer time. Uh, so if you'll bow your head and close your eyes. I made this lesson short. 
because I knew we had the mission team, but I also made it short so that we would have just a minute or two to pray. And I asked Jackson if he would just play a little bit for us, just so, you know, sometimes the white noise kind of helps us a little bit to, to focus. But this isn't a prayer that we pray together. I want you to pray quietly. You don't have to say it out loud. Quietly in your heart by yourself. I want you to ask God to put somebody on your heart that needs to hear Jesus, to hear about Jesus, that needs to hear the gospel. Isn't it sad that our cliques get so inward focused? So I want you to think about one person. I want you to ask God to bring to your mind one person that needs to know Jesus. Maybe it's someone that's a Christian, but they've just been running as fast as they can away from God. And I want you to ask God, I'm gonna give you a minute to ask God to bring to your mind one person, the name of one person who you can reach with the gospel of Jesus. And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed and as you're praying for that name, I want you to pray for that name that God will give you an opportunity to tell them about Jesus or invite them to our Thanksgiving dinner where they can hear about Jesus. I also have to ask you, if you came tonight and you don't know that you're saved, you heard this story about this guy named Saul who was killing Christians and then became a Christian. You say, I've never had that, a change like that in my life. Tonight, you can become a Christian. You can know that you're saved. You can know that you have a home in heaven forever if you trust him. It's not a magic hocus-pocus prayer that you pray. It's the trust in your heart that you place on Jesus, that he died for your sins, and that when he said, it is finished, it meant that your sins were paid for. So while others are praying for people that need to know Jesus, maybe tonight you need to pray and you need to put your faith and your trust in Jesus and ask God to save you. I'm going to close out our, our prayer time tonight by leading us in prayer. Um, God, friends are so important in our lives. And God, we think about the Barnabases in our life. We think about the people who made a difference in our lives for Jesus. And I could list the names of the people in my life from elementary to middle school to high school to college and even today who are my Barnabas figures who took care of me and invested in me. God, we thank you for those friends that we have. Um, God, I pray that you'll help us to be so, you to stop being so selfish and so inward focused that we won't, that we'll remember that there are people that are around us. There are people that come to Refuel every week who they need someone to invest in them spiritually. They need someone to teach them, to teach them how to follow Jesus. And that you'll put it on our hearts to be that someone for someone. And God, I pray that you'll remind us as we walk through the hallways of school and work and practices and things that the people that are around us, they're going one of two places when they die. And we have the news that can save their souls. And I pray that it'll be, that'll be something we never get over and something that never escapes our mind as we are around those people. So God, I ask that you give us a heart for those who are lost you give us a heart for those who need to learn how to follow you and that you make us thankful for the people in our lives who have made a difference. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks again for listening to the Refuel Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.